0: Tonight on all in. Where is the evidence of a of a breaking and entering? I get what you're saying, Sandra, about always casing the area. There's video Has of him breaking seen? through the house. Truth lies and the Pelosi tape. It's just absolutely awful. But it's also weird. Staying there with a drink. What was that? Tonight, why right-wing conspiracy theories keep flourishing in the face of shocking evidence? Then there's the expression with the grand jury that they could indict a ham sandwich? Well, in this case, I think they can indict the whole pig. As an old case becomes new legal peril for Donald Trump, why a wide swath of the Republican Party is rooting for an indictment? Plus, Congressman James Clyburn on the toxic agenda of the new MAGA Congress, and Maya Wiley and Jelani Cobb on the broken system that keeps producing outcomes like the death of Tyree Nichols. And All In starts right now. Good evening from New York. I'm Chris Hayes. Last week, Friday night, uh, two horrifying videos were made public. Uh, the killing of Tyree Nichols by Memphis police, which we covered on this show as it were released and we will return to this evening. There's also the surveillance video and body camera footage from the brutal attack of the husband of then Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi. Police released this video on your screen of the attacker casing Pelosi's house, sort of scoping it out there. Crucially, they also released video of this moment depicting the suspect breaking into Pelosi's house to carry out the attack. And finally, there is the video of the attack itself. Now, as you can imagine, this video is profoundly disturbing and graphic, and we're gonna play it just once because believe you have the right to see it. We believe showing it is in the public interest considering particularly the amount of misinformation, disinformation and outright scurrilous nonsense there has been surrounding the attack. But please be warned that viewers may find the video disturbing.
1: Yeah, literally said there. Hi. Hey How you doing? How are
2: you? What's going on, man? Everything's
1: good. Hi. I Drop know. the hammer.
2: Um, nope. Hey. Hey, hey, hey.
3: What is I'm going on down, right I'm now? not getting an answer on problem.
0: Paul Pelosi miraculously survived that attack. Congresswoman Nancy Pelosi says her husband has a long road ahead of him, that he is making progress in his recovery.
3: It's with a grateful heart and on behalf of my entire family that we continue to thank people for all of their prayers that they, they continue to send us asking about the progress my husband is making and he is making progress, but it'll take more
0: time. Now in addition to being downright horrifying, the videos of the moments leading up to the attack on Paul Pelosi as well as the attack itself debunk, definitively, a number of right-wing smears that were directed at this 82-year-old man after he suffered a brutal attack that landed him in the ICU. You see, while some Republicans, like, for instance, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, were capable of conjuring just like the most basic, normal response of a politician to condemn the brutal assault of one of their colleagues' spouses and wish them well, a lot of Republicans, conservatives, were not willing to do that bare minimum. It was really a disgusting spectacle, shocking, honestly, even by the degraded standards of our era. In fact, many prominent Republicans did the exact opposite. They smeared Paul Pelosi, the 82-year-old man who had been assaulted in his home in the dead of night with a hammer to his skull. They spread the lie that he knew his alleged attack, or that the two had a personal relationship, or that Pelosi willingly let him into his house, and they mocked the 82-year-old victim of an attempted murder. Republican Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia, for example, called the suspect in the attack call, quote, Paul Pelosi's friend. Isn't that clever? In a tweet where she accused the media of spreading misinformation, Republican Congresswoman Claudia Tenney of New York shared and then deleted this meme of a bunch of men holding hammers next to a gay pride flag. Isn't that a funny joke? That's a joke about the 82-year-old man being almost murdered with a hammer to his head, implying that he was carrying on a secret gay love affair. Two Arizona Republicans, then gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake, Congressman Andy Biggs, both publicly joked about the attempted murder just days after the attack.
4: Nancy Pelosi, well, she's got protection when she's in D.C. Apparently, her house doesn't have a lot of protection.
2: (laughs) We're going to show Nancy Pelosi the door very shortly. Don't let it hit you on the backside, Nancy. Hey, yeah, yeah. she's she's losing the gavel, but finding the hammer. Too soon? Is that too soon?
0: Again, the comedy there, the reason that's funny to those people is that this 80-year-old man was almost murdered by someone that broke into his house and put a hammer through his skull. That's the joke to these people. That's the funny thing at the end of that punchline. Naturally, the brunt, the conspiracy theory, and the wink-wink, asking questions shtick came from Fox News and other right-wing media outlets. How did this homeless drug addict even get inside the house? Now, there was glass broken at the rear door. We've seen those photos, but there looks like there's glass on both sides. It's uh, weird things going on in that household in the last couple of weeks. The glass, it seems, was broken from the inside to the out. And, you know, that was so it wasn't a break in. It was a breakout. Just produce the police body cam. Why is that so hard? We're not the crazy people. You're the liars. There is nothing wrong with asking questions, period. Paul Pelosi walked away from the police and toward David DePape. What could possibly explain behavior like that? And what were the two doing for the 30 minutes before police arrived? The police, for some reason, have refused to release that body cam footage. We get body cam footage every day in the news business, but they won't release this. What is going on here? Why are they hiding this? Is there a good reason? Uh, We don't know. I don't know, I'm just asking questions here. Well, what happened? Uh, They did release a video. You just saw it. Shows that the attack was exactly what we always knew it was, what every credible report indicated it would be, what Occam's razor would suggest it was. So what happened? Big mea culpas, big apologies. We got that wrong. No, of course. Of course not. (laughs) There's no fact in the world that's going to course correct here. That didn't deter Fox from pushing its same smears. They're still doing it with the video, in fact. Because the facts, reality itself, don't actually matter. That That's just ancillary. I mean, of course, they knew it all was all nonsense from the beginning. Well, I don't know. I think most of them, some of them are not that bright. But they just don't care. And that wasn't even the only right-wing lie about the attack that was debunked this weekend. There's another popular bit of disinformation on the right, again, circulating widely, which says that Pelosi's apparent attacker, who had a blog you could yourself read full of hundreds of pages of obvious right-wing conspiracy screeds, who seems to be a supporter of QAnon, the far-right cult that worships Donald Trump as a messianic figure, was actually some kind of political lefty and not a conservative at all. Now, it's true he made some sort of weird trajectory over the course of his life, but Republicans and our Ted Cruz of Texas pushed this particular lie just days after he initially condemned the attack and political violence, sharing a post from a self-decribed, and I'm not making this up, theocratic fascist, reading, quote, I don't know what the hell happened at Nancy Pelosi's house, and I suspect none of us ever will. Real big mystery, right? But I do know that trying to paint a hippie nudist from Berkeley as some sort of militant right-winger is absurd and will always be absurd. So that's the view that Senator Ted Cruz retweeted. Senator Ted Cruz, we might never know what happened there. Of course, we we know what happened. And of course, the idea that he was a Milton right winger is not absurd. This was not hard to figure out if you are capable of reading. He wrote it down. His blog posts are full of far right, anti establishment kind of nonsense about COVID 19, QAnon, the Tree of Liberty, right? All the kinds of bizarre, confused, conspiratorial stuff that you get from right-wing internet, Fox News these days. And in case, you know, that wasn't enough, this weekend, the man in question reportedly made a telephone call from his jail to a local San Francisco journalist who'd reached out for him for an interview. In the call, the man who has pled not guilty, not only just exp- doesn't express remorse for his actions, he says his only regret is that he did not hurt more people.
2: Now that y'all have seen the body, can footage, it. have it
1: an important message for everyone in America. You're welcome.
2: Uh,
1: the tree of liberty isn't dying; it's being killed
0: systematically and deliberately. The people killing it have names and addresses. So I got their names and addresses so I could pay them a little visit, I have a heart-to-heart chat about their bad
2: behavior. The tree of liberty needs watering. We need men of valor, patriots willing to put their own lives on the line to stand in opposition to tyranny. I would also like to apologize. I want to apologize to everyone. I messed up. What I did was really bad. I'm so sorry. I didn't get more of them. It's my own fault. No one else is to blame. I should have come better prepared.
0: Later on that same interview, the suspect also appears to reference the right-wing conspiratorial blog that he wrote, claims that he was being censored by big tech for his beliefs. Where have you heard that before? Another completely banal talking point on the far right. So again, this was really remarkable. I mean, the Speaker of the House's husband is almost murdered in his home by a guy who says that he's looking for the Speaker of the House just a week or so before the election, right? Right on a quest to commit essentially political murder or political kidnapping. And much of the conservative world, the conservative media, right wing establishment, politicians are just like, I don't know, I'm just asking questions. Maybe that's a pretty funny joke. It's gross. Everything that Fox and Republican politicians have been pushing about this case is both false and dangerously false. It is as is so much over there, a twisted inverse of reality, easily disproven by the evidence we have access to, just like we always suspected would be. But of course, the people orchestrating these campaigns of lies, they don't care. By the time the truth comes out, they've already moved on to the next lie. They did the same thing. They're doing the same thing right now with code vaccines and the 2020 election, feeding their audience a constant stream of what they want to hear no consideration of what is true and what is false and who is being put in danger by the lies. By doing so, they are putting their audience every day incrementally further and further beyond the reach of any shared collective universe of democratic discourse. Joining me now is someone who understands the writing of the media ecosystem very well, Angelo Corazon, Executive Director of Media Matters. You know, Angelo, <laughs> maybe as you can tell, I... I have low standards. I've been, I've seen a lot. This one still even kind of shocked and appalled me. Um, yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> yeah. Where, how did it, it get is. And sp- I think, you know, so fast yeah. and so it spread so fast and it was so outlandish and ludicrous and made such an unbelievable yeah. inroads. I was, I, it set my head spinning.
3: I think there are three factors as to why it's spread so fast. and That's a good question. One is sort of a, a reflection of what you were getting to at the end of your monologue, which is that there is a bloodlust in the larger right wing echo chamber now. It's not just, you know, a lust for lower taxes and, you know, <laughs> and other sort of like sort of far right or Republican policies. There's a bloodlust. Uh, and that is reflected increasingly after these big violent instances. Um, but then also it's worth keeping in mind that this was right before the election. This is 11 right. days before the midterms. So there was another component to this, which is like it was sort of like kindling, which is that we have a chance here to inject some kinetic energy into the space to make sure that this doesn't turn into something that gets the Democrats sympathies, which is where you throw doubt into right. it. Right. Um, and that's the other factor, right? And then the third thing, and this is the part that's scary, there's an increasing perception among the right and including amongst prominent right wing figures and right wing and Republican elected officials that they deserve it, that they did a whole bunch of bad stuff. That Democrats are doing bad things, that members of the media are doing things that are so bad that this vigilante justice, well, at
0: least it's some kind of justice. And I think those three factors, when you add it all up, is why it spread so fast. There's also another thing that I've been watching happening on the right. And I think this is because of the sort of polarization around low trust, high trust. But the it's it, the infowarsization of of right wing media. And I say this even in like even when you move it outside the bounds of like polarizing like did aliens build the pyramids okay this is like a this is like a horny conspiratorial yeah. cliche of like yeah. you know for decades right that's the kind of thing that you're seeing right-wing media people talk about now it doesn't even score a political point it's just this view that like everything they tell you is a lie that is more and more taking over that yes. entire universe
3: Yes, and I think that that, what's concerning about that and then sort of the factors that led into that is one, obviously social media and in particular, the metastasizing of the QAnon conspiracy in the spring of 2020 coupled with all the COVID stuff really helped that sort of just that toxicity spill over. But the other factor is that it's worth keeping in mind that a very large segment of Republican leaders started to organize power on what used to be considered the fringes. And as they started to increasingly organize power on what used to be considered the fringes, using the right-wing media as a conduit for accessing that, they brought all that stuff, and cre- you know, that you spend the fringes more toward the center. That's why something like groomers and pedophilia would be sort of far out there stuff years ago. And that is a like mainstream Republican yeah. orthodoxy. Now, it's not even controversial to say that, 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 you know, Democrats are sexualizing children. Everyone is saying that on, on, in Republican po- politics. you don't have to be an extremist to make that point.
0: There's a final point here, which, which I didn't know in the monologue, which is Elon Musk's particular role in this, who purchased Twitter and one of the first most noble things he did in Twitter. And it was the first time I ever encountered this ludicrous, gross conspiracy theory that the two men had some relationship and that this was like a lover's quarrel, something like that. Mm-hmm. Was Elon Musk tweeting about it in a response to Hillary Clinton? That really put rocket fuel He has since said he's apologized, though he's done the replies. But like Elon Musk owns a huge share of this entire thing. He does, because, and this is the, exactly
3: the, da- the danger of him being in charge. I mean, he supercharged that conspiracy theory, and it's worth noting that that is sort of the function of Twitter now under Elon Musk, is that it's kind of become a red-pale Pez dispenser, where right. these conspiracies, these really far-out things, are increasingly getting supercharged because they're getting algorithmic boosts. So even things that Elon Musk doesn't promote, are we're actually seeing get supercharged all the time now.
0: Angela Corazon, whose job is to monitor uh, all this, thank you very much. Thank you. It's been nearly five years since Donald Trump's lawyer and fixer, Michael Cohn, remember him, pleaded guilty, went to prison for, among other things, hush money payments to Stormy Daniels. You remember the story? Well, guess what? Tonight, it looks like the guy that Michael Cohn did it for might finally face some legal consequences for that crime. That's next.
4: The International Rescue Committee is a critical organization working in more than 50 countries, responding to the world's worst humanitarian crises. The IRC serves people whose lives have been upended by war, conflict, and natural disasters. Responding within 72 hours after an emergency strikes, they stay as long as needed. Right now, in places like Afghanistan and Ukraine, families are experiencing adverse winter weather like heavy rain, frigid temperatures, and snowfall on top of war, hunger, and displacement. Many makeshift camps are unable to withstand extreme weather conditions. Some people are living without reliable electricity, while others can't afford to buy fuel for the heat source they do have. Donations help the IRC provide families with the resources they need to recover and rebuild their lives, including essential winter items like emergency food, shelter, fuel, medicine, blankets, winter gear, and cash assistance. For example, even just a $14 donation can provide a temporary shelter for a displaced family. Donate today by visiting rescue.org slash rebuild.
0: So, as promised, we got a major update today in one of the many, almost too many to count investigations into the ex-president. Now, it comes in a case that most people had believed had dried up. The New York Times reports that the Manhattan District Attorney's Office has now begun, quote, presenting evidence to a grand jury about Donald Trump's role in paying hush money to a porn star during his 2016 presidential campaign laying the groundwork for potential criminal charges against the former president in the coming months. This is a surprising development after so many twists and turns in what is the longest running criminal investigation into Donald Trump. Since the Manhattan DA began its probe into Trump's potential financial crimes in 2019, they have secured a guilty plea from his chief financial officer, Alan Weisselberg, as well as a conviction against his business itself, the Trump Organization. But it appeared they were not actually going to charge Trump himself criminally. Earlier last year, D.A. Alvin Bragg suspended the investigation into the ex-president, prompting two senior prosecutors on the case to resign. One of those prosecutors even wrote a letter blasting Bragg's decision, writing, quote, The team that has been investigating Trump harbors no doubt about whether he committed crimes he did. I believe that your decision not to prosecute Donald Trump now and on the existing record is misguided and completely contrary to the public interest. Now, at the time, D.A. Bragg insisted the investigation was not closed, a point he reiterated last month in the wake of the Trump Org conviction.
2: As I said back in April uh, in a statement, the investigation is ongoing. This is one chapter. Um, I caution people against reading ahead. We follow the facts, and this is part of a broader uh, piece of work that we've been doing um, since I join the office in
0: January, and we're going to continue it. So, sure enough, the next chapter appears to be beginning with one of the witnesses spotting, spotted entering the building in lower Manhattan, where the grand jury is sitting today. Now, the facts of this case are quite well established because someone already went to prison for this crime. That person, of course, is Donald Trump's former lawyer and fixer, Michael Cohn. Remember, in 2018, Cohen pleaded guilty to eight federal criminal charges, including campaign finance violations. He admitted to making hush money payments shortly before the 2016 election to two women who said they had affairs with Donald Trump, one of whom was adult film actress Stormy Daniels. This was in violation of federal election law. And as the U.S. attorney put it in Cohen's sentencing memo, Cohen admitted he acted in coordination with and at the direction of individual one. Individual one, of course, being Donald Trump. Now, at the time, it did seem fairly straightforward that if you were going to prosecute Michael Cohn for this crime, you should also prosecute the person he was acting on behalf of, the person who clearly was the one orchestrating all of it. And get this, according to new reporting, federal prosecutors in the Southern District of New York did consider doing that when Donald Trump left office. In fact, in January 2021, the acting U.S. attorney held multiple discussions with a small group of prosecutors to discuss its evidence against Trump. They decided not to seek an indictment for several reasons, including the political ramifications and the fact that Trump's other scandals, such as efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election and the January 6th insurrection, made the campaign finance violation seem somehow trivial and outdated by comparison. That's a totally defensible view. Like, the guy did try to end the constitutional republic as we know it. But it's also exactly the problem. This has been happening for years now. Everyone is always waiting and looking for someone else to deal with Donald Trump. People keep passing the buck. And then it never ends up stopping. Stopping. Just look at what is going on right now with all the swirling criminal probes. In addition to D.A. Alvin Bragg's investigation, there's the Fulton County case led by District Attorney Fonnie Willis looking into interference in Georgia's 2020 election. There are two Department of Justice inquiries into classified documents and the January 6th insurrection, both now led by Special Counsel Jack Smith. And yet still, as of now, the man who certainly appears to have violated the law in many different ways remains unindicted. And the situation is the same politically within the Republican Party, where people just keep hoping that someone else will come along and put an end to Donald Trump's political career. Of course, they had a chance to do it themselves. The best chance Republicans had to do that was in the days and weeks after January 6th. If Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell had whipped for a yes vote and conviction on impeachment, I think they probably could have convicted Trump and barred him from holding future office. But McConnell was a coward and chose not to. And so the magical thinking continues. As McKay Coppins describes in this great piece in The Atlantic, quote, faced with the prospect of another election cycle dominated by Trump, uncertain that he can actually be beaten in the primaries, many Republicans are quietly rooting for something to happen that will make him go away. And they would strongly prefer not to make it happen themselves. As one Republican put it, it's like 2016 all over again, only more fatalistic. The answer here is clear. You cannot wait for someone else to dethrone Donald Trump, to defeat him or to hold him to account. He is obviously a clear and present danger in American democracy. We all saw the coup he tried to pull off two years ago. And so everyone in American public life has an obligation to do everything they can, legally and peacefully, of course, to stop him now. Stop waiting for someone else to do it. As Republicans prepare to launch, all, launch their brand new House investigations into Hunter Biden, the origins of the coronavirus, and the quote weaponization of the federal government, worth remembering what happened the last time Republicans had control of the House two years before a presidential election. They launched a select committee, ostensibly to investigate the deaths of four Americans at the embassy in Benghazi, Libya. It lasted more than two and a half years, cost millions of dollars and included an 11-hour grilling of former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. And, all for the Republican cl- and for all the Republican claims of high-mindedness, Kevin McCarthy accidentally revealed the real reason for the committee on Fox News. Everybody thought Hillary Clinton was unbeatable, right? But we put together a Benghazi special committee, a select committee. What are her numbers today? Her numbers are dropping, why? Because she's untrustable. But no one would have known any of that had happened had we not thought and made that happen. Congressman James Clyburn of South Carolina was there the last time House Republicans tried to use those investigations for political gain. He's still serving now, serves as the assistant Democratic leader, helping to guide the new generation of House Democratic leadership. Congressman, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Appreciate it.
1: Well, thank you very much for having me.
0: Congressman, having having been through this a number of times now, having gone from the majority to the minority, having watched Republicans launch a series of investigations when they get the gavel, what is your expectation and posture towards these various investigations that they are uh, they're gearing up to do?
1: Well, I think they are very, very unnecessary. They are really a waste of time. I think they approve that with uh, Benghazi. We know uh, what the result of that was. Two and a half years, I don't know how much money was spent, and uh, it was all uh, for naught. Uh, it may have uh, been of some detriment uh, to Hillary Clinton, but that's not what we run government for. Government is here uh, to really address the things that are uh, really responsible and things that really get the country moving, get people, uh, lives in order, not to score political points. So if we are going to run this government to score political points, I think that the result is going to be the same. We saw that time and time again when they were in power before, and I think that will be the end result this time as well. But then a lot of money will have been spent and wasted and a lot of time when we could be devoted to improving people's lives.
0: One of the other things they're gearing up to do is a vote, it looks like, to boot uh, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar off the Foreign Relations Committee. They're postponing that because they, I think they've already got two no's and they've got some folks who are not around this week and their margins are very thin. Um, I know that you're not... Uh, you're in a sort of different role in House leadership. Are you confident that Democrats will hold together on this vote and all vote against the motion should they bring it to the floor?
1: Oh, I think so. Uh, we got uh, about 212 votes. I think it will be 212 people uh, voting uh, for uh, Ms. Omar. And I would hope uh, we'll have 220-some-odd uh, Republicans doing the same. I know that's not the case, but the fact of the matter is, it should be.
0: There's also now, there is an interesting development in the story around the debt ceiling, which is basically the following. They've said they're going to attempt to sort of have this kind of hostage taking, but... All attempts to get them to lay out what exactly the demand is, why they're taking the hostage, what ransom they want paid so far hasn't come up with anything. And and I thought this was interesting. This is Elise Stefanik uh, on Fox Business Today being asked, okay, what do you want to cut? What do you want to do? Here's what she had to say. Take a listen.
5: Do you have areas in your mind that you think are ripe for spending cuts? Where would you cut? Well, absolutely.
4: We need to look at every dollar when it comes to discretionary spending. We see the waste, fraud, and abuse that exists in these agencies. Take a look at the Department of Defense. Now, I've been a strong advocate when it comes to making sure that we have the resources for strong national security. But their woke agenda, we ought to be going after those programs that are not focused on what DOD should be focused on, but are far-left radical agendas. Also, look at the unspent COVID funds. That's hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars that we can go after immediately
0: Do you expect them? (laughs) Are you laughing at the uh, at the line item in the Pentagon budget for the woke agenda? Was that your reaction?
1: The woke agenda? You know, I've been trying now for some time to figure out what that is. I've been around a long time. I have no idea what they are talking about. I do know this. The full faith and credit of the United States of America should never be put at risk. We should be paying our bills and we should maintain credibility around the world. And the fact of the matter is, this is asking for the ceiling to be raised in order to pay a debt, not to incur or make any expenditures, but to pay our debts. And that should never uh, be uh, a threat, uh, as they seem. Uh, to be hell bent uh, on making
0: congressman jim Clyburn, uh, thank you sir
1: thank you very much for having me
0: still to come as all the world saw on the video tyree nichols tried his best to comply with the contradictory and shouted orders from the police officers that beat him and beat him so why did police keep acting like he was resisting that's ahead There are new developments tonight in the investigation of the death of 29-year-old Tyree Nichols. The Memphis Fire Department just fired two EMTs and a lieutenant, saying they violated numerous policies in their treatment of Nichols after he was brutally beaten by police. And the Memphis police just revealed that they put seven officers on leave after the beating. So that includes the five officers that we know who have been charged with murder, a sixth unidentified officer, and a seventh officer, Preston Hemphill who was seen on tape firing a stun gun at Nichols. Now, we only found out about Hemphill's suspension today, three days after Ben Crump, lawyer for the Nichols family, raised questions about him on our air.
2: We just saw something on the video we didn't see. We saw a white officer was on the scene as well. And we are trying to look and see what uh, disciplinary action took place with him. When you uh, see him holding the taser, Uh, and uh, spraying the stuff out of the one, the pepper spray out of the one officer's eye. So that's a question everybody's asking now. Why wasn't this officer included?
0: Weekend Memphis police also disbanded the so-called Scorpion unit that was responsible for Tyree Nichols' death. This unit was launched with great fanfare, as you can see in this Facebook video, and tasked with saturating the city's crime hotspots when the homicide rate was on the rise in 2021. But as Radley Balco wrote in the New York Times, such elite police units often make things worse, not better. Quote, they all rest on the idea that to be effective, police officers need less oversight, which is a fundamental misconception. Police here in the U.S. kill far more civilians than police in other wealthy countries. Just look at this chart from the Prison Policy Initiative. And as protesters around the country mourn Tyree Nichols' call for an end to police violence, Four words at the insidious heart of this crisis echoes in the mind of anyone who watched that video. Give us your hands. That's next.
2: Primary season is here. If you've got
4: voting questions, we've got voting answers. Visit slash plan your vote. You'll find when and how to vote in your state's primary election. Visit slash plan your vote today.
0: Former President Donald Trump is facing 91 indictment charges, yet he remains the Republican frontrunner. On MSNBC's
2: podcast Prosecuting Donald Trump, veteran prosecutors Andrew Weissman and Mary McCord break down the biggest legal developments and how they could alter the election.
3: Never had a president who engaged in this kind of conduct who's running for office. He is using the criminal
4: cases for his own campaigning.
2: Search for Prosecuting Donald Trump wherever you get
0: your podcasts. New episodes every Tuesday. In the incredibly disturbing video of Memphis police officers beating and ultimately killing Tyree Nichols, you can hear the police shouting a constant stream of overlapping and contradictory commands. Warning to viewers, we're now going to show portions of that graphic and disturbing footage, and you'll notice here that one of the officers, after leaving the scrum, returns with a baton and beats Tyree Nichols, screaming, give us your hands, while the other officers are holding Nichols' arms. What you're about to see combines the audio of the police body cam footage with a different angle of video taken from nearby streetlight poles. You can see a full picture of what police were doing when they were shouting, Give us your hands.
2: God, give, give me your hands. Watch out. I'm a baton. Who the fuck is? He the, watch out. Watch out. Give us your hands. Give us your hands. Give us your hands.
0: They have his hands. They can do whatever they want to him. They don't need his compliance. As the New York Times points out, Nichols was given orders at least 71 times over the course of 13 minutes as the officers became increasingly violent. There was no way Tyree Nichols could have responded to those commands. But of course, that wasn't the point. Shouting give us your hands is how the officers try to make it seem that Nichols is the source of their violence, that Nichols is resisting. It was a transparent pretext to keep beating him ultimately leading to his death. Maya Wiley is a former chair of the New York City Civilian Complaint Review Board. She now serves as the president and CEO of the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights. Shalani Cobb, dean of the Columbia University School of Journalism, a staff writer for The New Yorker who has done a lot of reporting on policing and criminal justice. It's good to have you both here. So let's just start with that because I do think that... You've seen a lot of law enforcement officers coming forward, including some cops saying, yes, this is standard, this sort of idea of stop resisting. And people have all seen this. If you've ever been a reporter in these, Jelani, you and I have been in reporting the same places, police taking a, you know, roughing someone up or grabbing someone saying, stop resisting, stop resisting. The person's not resisting. There's something about the disingenuousness, that the, the routine deception involved in that, that's much bigger than what appears in that video and that I think is really resonating with a lot of people and the experiences they've had with police and something broken inside policing. Sure,
2: absolutely. But the, the other part of it is that that didn't come from nowhere. Like People don't just intuitively know to create a pretext while you were beating someone senseless. That was the counter-training. Whatever you're teaching people in, you know, the, the 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 department uh classroom or whatever, that's one thing. But that's older cops. That's a tradition, that's word of mouth, that's the the Facebook group. Those are people passing on. This is how you commit these kinds of egregious violence and get away with it.
5: And feel justified in it. I, th- I think this is a really important point to note is it is both common. But it is also common, both for the reasons Jelani so rightly said, you you have officers coming out of training, um, could be gung ho about what they learned in training. They get to the precinct house and the older guard goes, I'm going to show you how it's done. Ignore that. I'm going to show you how it's really done. You want to stay alive. I'll show you how it's done. But then it becomes justification in the culture that says my work is dangerous or hard or I'm just don't like people being what I perceive as disrespectful to me in this video. What I see is they didn't like he had to make them run. Mm-hmm. He is mm-hmm. dead and got beaten dead because they didn't like that he made them run. Right. And that is the kind of abuse of power that happens every day in small ways and large. That's one of the reasons why black people run, because you just don't really know he what's going to
0: happen right. to you. I mean, that's what's so sick about the Remember whole thing. He, said, he ran because he's scared for his he, life because he thinks you're going to. Kill him.
5: You you had pointed which, out this which was an this, accurate prediction. Yeah, you you had pointed this out where he says this is a lot, right? As soon as they're yanking Y'all him out, really out of the car, he's like, "This, you're doing a lot here," which meaning why? What, right. what did I do that actually warrants me being treated like this? The,
0: this Scorpion program to me is is also just a sort of perfect encapsulation of so much of what has happened. And um, writing uh, this is this is uh, uh, Radley Balko. Um, writing about this, who's a great reporter on, on law enforcement, says, Scorpion program has all the markings of similar elite police teams around the country assembled for the broad purpose of fighting crime. They all rest in the idea that to be effective, police officers need less oversight. It's a fundamental, <coughs> fundamental misconception in city after city. These units have proven that putting officers in street clothes and unmarked cars then giving them less supervision an open mandate and intimidating name shatters the community trust the police force requires to keep people safe. And someone else made this point, And I'd love to hear you talk about this based on your reporting in Newark, to the extent that there is a deterrent effect that police can have it in a place, it comes from people seeing them and saying, OK, well, I'm not going to do the thing I was going to do. Riding around in Conguino and jump out squads does not produce precisely the thing that ostensibly you're there to produce. It
2: sometimes produces the opposite reaction. So, I'd been, you know, this is kind of pre-reform. Newark has done a lot of work there, and I don't want to take away from that. But pre-reform, I'd been there when police two carloads of plainclothes people at night would jump out of an unmarked car and grab someone and then charge that person with resisting in a high crime neighborhood, which would be the complete reasonable thing to do. You would believe that you were being attacked. Nothing about the situation would convey right, that you would resist law enforcement, pr- right, of right, of but then and doing this all in the name of crime prevention. It makes no sense.
5: Some of the best examples of helping black communities feel safe, one here in Brownsville in, in Brooklyn, uh, 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 Mother Gaston Boulevard, not Brownsville. But the point is, community said, including violence interrupters, said, step back, step back and let us uh, do what we do as community leaders. And for two weeks, when the precinct took the officers off the two blocks, was the safest the residents felt. Mm-hmm. The safest they felt was when the now they still had a relationship with the precinct. Right. So they knew that they could call if necessary. But they also had some trust that when called, the police would do as they asked.
0: Well, this this speaks to where I find myself in this and having, you know, reported on this now for over a decade and written a book about, about it that, you know, if, I, I feel a little at a loss, honestly, if someone said, OK, you get to be you know you get the magic wand and you get to run. You can do it, fix it. Right. Right. Um, you know, I hear people who say, look, look at all these reforms, body cameras, uh, civilian complaint review boards, uh, uh, more in- more diverse uh, police you know departments, but more diverse at the top. Right. I mean, like, on and on and on. They don't prevent things. At the same time, it also feels like saying, like, well, you can't reform this. The whole thing has to be scrapped is so far from any political reality that it's essentially giving up. And so I don't know what the middle space looks like.
2: I mean, I think that uh, honestly, I draw my, my background as a historian in civil rights, that there had to be so many frustrating what now moments before you actually break through and make change. The fact of it is, you know, with policing and what we've seen, you know, in the failed efforts at reform, none of them have achieved a fundamental reality, which is civilian control of the police. We don't have that. We have nominal civilian control of the police, but police really respond to the police unions, which takes them out of the hands of civilian control. That has to be the objective of any other attempt to reform. And
0: and you will see when you try to do things, they will, you know, essentially rebel. (laughs) I mean, they will either, um, you know, we saw this in Baltimore after Freddie Gray, uh, particularly. you know, just say they won't answer calls. They'll say like you're on your own. They'll they will use their interactions with people as a sort of form of canvassing. You know, in San Francisco, every time someone would call the cops, they'd say, "Well, Chase Boudin, mm-hmm. you cannot nothing we can do." And it's a very effect. It's extremely effective politically.
5: Well, you know what's really also effective politically, to Jelani's point, activism. The other thing that's really and and not going away on the reform, but also on having people in government who are willing to take risks. I mean, as someone who ran for mayor of the city of New York saying that I would make civilian oversight as a structural change to policing, you know, I, I was clear that if I won, I'd be okay if it was a one term because the issue wasn't me. It was the kind of courage that says we're going to do what works, not what's broken, and we're going to make it work for everybody. But I don't even know what works. Oh, we what do. What works? No, no. We, we, we actually do know what works. So this was my point about Mother Gaston Boulevard. Yeah. Uh, and Latrice Walker and other electives really, these were elected officials it, who actually said this and did this now what if there had been an administration said that worked we're going to expand it now and we're going to tell our precinct commanders it worked and we're actually going to make it policy so it's not actually that we don't know what works it is about will and will building and and i I will go with jelani on this you know we come from a people who have been beat down for hundreds of years and have not gone away on the fight we're not going away now
0: Maya Wiley, Chellani Cobb, two of my favorites. Great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. That does it for All In. You can catch us every weeknight at 8 o'clock on MSNBC. Don't forget to like us on Facebook. That's Facebook.com slash All In with Chris.
2: Hi, everyone. It's Katie Fang.